Looking for more professional learning, free as a benefit of your union membership? OEA's upcoming quarter catalog is available now at grow.oregoned.org. You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association and a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. OEA Grow is by members, for members. In Season 10, members discuss supporting our newly arrived students with Sakura Hamada. Hi, everybody. Uh, for those of you that has listened to our podcast before, welcome back. Uh, for those of you who has not listened to our podcast before, welcome aboard. It is so great to have you join us for the OEA Growth Podcast. And I am your host, Sakura Hamada. And uh, this season, we've been talking about how we as an educator, been supporting newly arrived students. And today, I have an honor to have Frankie Collins as our guest today. So Frankie, if you don't mind introducing yourself to us. Sure. Good morning, although maybe it's not morning when you're listening. I'm Frankie, <laughs> and um, I'm excited to be here. I was honored to, to get the invite to speak and talk about recently arrived students in public school settings because they are populations I've worked with and really enjoy working with. Um, so I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, tell us about yourself. Tell us about your experiences working with newly arrived students or anything else that relates to working with them. Um, this may be a tangent, so you can you can edit it out. Oh, but I was thinking about this this morning. I had the opportunity to be an exchange student when I was 17. And so I was dropped into, you know, voluntarily, I had choice in this situation and support, mm -hmm. but into um, Belo Horizonte, Brazil, um, with very limited Portuguese and no knowledge of where I was. And mm -hmm. so I, I don't know, I think that that somehow that connects for me um, in terms of my interest and empathy and curiosity about students who arrived to the U.S. and are new to public school systems and are figuring it out. And um, in the past, I would say probably within the last nine or 10 years, I've, I've worked in a couple different settings with recently arrived students, most mm -hmm. recently middle school, um, which is a weird place because I think we have classes and, and schedules where students are moving around, um, but not always the option to be as specific and precise to meet students' needs. So we're trying to do that within the framework of a middle school day. And mm -hmm. that um, was teaching language arts and social studies and like an, a homeroom advisory class that we, we called it newcomers class. That was a population of students. So students who had been within in, in U.S. schools for um, usually under a year. 
sometimes more. And then before that, I worked in a short term, I would call it like a transitional therapeutic classroom for students who were in federal custody and foster care, um, who were hoping to be reunified with family here in the U.S., but sometimes also face deportation. So different settings um, and lots of diversity among students in both of those places. Um, but that's, mm-hmm. that's my background. Wow. So like you've been working on like from different settings from like middle school, like tradition, like a middle school settings, but also like you said, like a th- um, short term therapeutic um, settings where you work with the um, kiddos that are in federal custody. Can you tell us more about that experience? Because like I haven't really talked to anyone that has worked in that um, field previously. So I'm really interested in learning more about that. Sure. Well, and I think that it's changed. So you may have folks that interact with your podcast who have have been involved in that within the last five years. I left that classroom because it like um, the powers that be decided licensed teachers were no longer needed to serve students in that short term setting. So Mm. um, but at the time it was, you know, they uh, these students had the right to accessible public education while they were waiting to be reunified here. And um, the program was set up with a lot of in-class support. So we had educational assistance. Um, We had therapists and social workers on site as well. And it was a small class. Um, The age of students varied. My class was technically older kids, but sometimes depending, there were two classrooms in this program. Sometimes there would be more or less in younger kids. And so uh, it was a fun challenge for me mm-hmm. to figure out, you know, who are these kids and uh, what do they need right now? And often they're landing in my classroom after some pretty immediate significant trauma right? because of the separation that they've experienced Um And they were with us if they were traveling without legal guardians and separated at the border. But often um, they had been traveling with aunts or uncles or grandparents. And so that was like another form of trauma and separation at the border. So um, I say that to say, I think what really I tried to do in that setting was to have routines Mm -hmm. that were just um, as accessible as possible with or without language, understanding like and... um, trying to integrate play, but in a way where it wasn't like so stressful that kids would shut down, but opportunities for students to kind of um, be in their bodies in safe ways, if that was possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And lots of different, I mean, these things carry over, but different modalities so that students can access from different places. And the thing that was interesting there is students are coming with all different kinds of backgrounds in terms of their academic like access to learning. And so it was an opportunity to get curious and see like what they know, what they can recall right now, where a good place. So it was very like um, individualized, not in terms of an IEP, but individualized like lessons and activities for the students in the classroom at that time. And as much as we could get out of the classroom and do field trips or experiential learning, we did that as well. Um, Because it, it's hard to imagine if you've been separated from the person that you know and have had this journey of thousands right. of miles, but it's, you know, how you're able to show up and be here 
so it was an interesting thing to be able to do. Um, but I also enjoyed it. So that's what, oh, that's I don't know if that answered your questions or not. No, that, that did answer the question. Like, yeah, like. So I also, as the teacher, I would tell you there, didn't get to know, um, I was not supposed to know where the students were going, like, or much about their background, just for confidentiality reasons. And oh, so, yeah, of course. Uh, that was always hard, too, because you want the best for them. And we definitely would send, like, information or, like, examples of what we'd done while they were in class with us. And you're hoping that where they land, they're landing in a school community that can support where they're at, too, and help them continue yeah, to Yeah, totally. So, Absolutely. Yeah. We could only do so much as educators, right? I mean, you're hoping that they will at least um, will be equipped with the tools from you, you know, some skills as they go elsewhere. Hopefully yep. they land in a, like, a great school community that they feel belong and welcome. But uh, yeah, I can't imagine um, like what trauma they've been going through again like you mentioned like separating from their family and you know although they may be with their aunts and uncles and whatnot it's it's going they're going through a huge transition in their life and then so I don't know as they're and you could see that in the classroom setting like you know amount of trauma amount of stress that they carry in the classroom what are something that you have um, incorporated. I know you mentioned integ- um, you integrate play and also routine, but how did you sort of address this, like, you know, social, emotional learning, but also like mental health component for these kiddos? Yeah, luckily there, like I said, like we were a team that would debrief every day. The therapist was there every day and could hear what was going on with students. And so we could strategize if there was like, um, like a mini lesson or activity that we could do with the whole group that might address something broadly, you know, that we see a student struggling with. Um, but I think other things too, I, I, I guess I'm summarizing it by routine, but like, are there spaces where the kid can go if they need a break? Do I have good de-stressors around, like if they're into coloring or they're into Legos or they just need to go on a walk? Is there a staff person that they feel like they can trust? Um, and I think that that those same things work for students in, in like in the middle school where I've been that have been impacted by different kinds of trauma as well. Um, Mm -hmm. so there's some similarities there. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead. ahead. (laughs) No, (laughs) No, I I know. I like, I was like, wait, I want to make sure I like, because I did write down notes, but I, I think. The other thing it made me really aware of moving into public schools is like um, sometimes those students are being um, placed with family members that are here in the U.S. that they don't know or parents that they haven't seen since they're two and they're now 15. And so, like, I think often there's the assumption that, you know, this is their family. They know, you know, they know their family. They have a strong, like, consistent relationship with with where they are. And that's not always the case. So just trying to be, um, I think the, the ground rules for me is try not to assume and to stay curious. Like I think assumptions are, I mean, we have to as educators kind of navigate and do a million things at a time, but like remembering that and being sensitive to it in terms of the, the kids that are in the room. 
Yeah, totally. Like, we don't want to assume a lot of things. And then that's also where our biases come s from, too.、Yeah. So we really need to be mindful of that. Yeah. And, and yeah, you mentioned about like a break rooms or de stressor,、mm-hmm. whatnot. And then I feel like those are sort of like pretty universal. Like, kids、mm-hmm. like, like to color, draw. Lego or taking on the walk. I feel like that's I, like that applies to every kiddos, most kiddos,、mm-hmm. right? To at least ways they have their ways to like, you know, help them de stress or help them with their big feelings, whatnot. And、mm-hmm. so that's super applicable. And then, and now I kind of wanted to talk about how, what is it, what is it like teaching like social studies in middle school with the newly arrived students? Like, How was it like for you? Well, I was thinking about that question too, because I think, in a way, like I said earlier, middle schools, we don't have like this incredible flexibility with the schedule and, and like, and even just so going into elementary school this year, I've, I'm learning that the team that's teaching English language development assesses and decides within the first week of the school year where the best placement is for students. And in middle school, Often that determination is made to build a schedule for the student before they're there.、Mm-hmm. And I, I say that to say that often、um, we're trying to like teach multiple levels within a single classroom. And that was the case often with social studies because I had some students who were recently arrived who had really strong formal education、um, mm-hmm. before they came here. And so language. And a little bit of understanding how US schools work was really all, all, not all that they needed, right? But that's why they were in my class. It was this, the need to build their English language skills. And other students who didn't, who had interrupted formal education. And so trying to、um, scaffold, this is all going to sound general, but like, what am I being really clear about what I'm teaching and going to assess on? And then being able to, to break that down or chunk it out so that. The really core or key pieces I can make accessible, as accessible as possible, and,、um, and using a number of different modalities to do that. So,、um, and these are going to sound maybe obvious, like, but the visuals, you know, like、mm-hmm. if there's、right. sounds or music,、um, things like that. And then figuring out what really, to the best of my ability, what is a, a appropriate, what's appropriate progress for them. From where they're starting from. And so that's a, that's a tricky business, but that's, that's what I did. So、um, I don't think, I think some of those things are helpful for other students too who、mm-hmm. uh, maybe are behind in their like grade level reading in terms of accessing the text or the, the materials we're using.、Um, and I also think, and this ties into what you were saying in terms of our bias, our bias and trying to like grow and learn and Being more anti racist is like, how is my class and what I'm teaching、um, not just coming from my perspective or how this was learned for me, but like, can we look at this from the viewpoints of maybe where my students are coming from and how maybe they learned this piece of history or how this,、mm-hmm. they, you know, and having those,、um, when it's possible, conversations about it and also、yeah. incorporating examples and things that are. That are maybe re- more relevant to them、um, in what I'm teaching as well. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. No, it does. And then 
yeah, that also that applies to the content that you've been teaching, like language art, social、yeah. studies, whatnot. Like, yeah, providing visuals. And then you mentioned about music, like the sounds too. Yeah. Right. And then I appreciate that you brought up like anti racism too. Like, that is so like a huge key component when we are especially like working with our newly arrived students because those are the kiddos that come from like、um, different culture, ethnicity, but also from language as well. So, those are something that. Like, we as educators need to be really aware of, you know? So, I 100% agree. And I'm really happy that you like brought it up to this conversation. I, I, yeah, I think that's, I think, an awesome thing about、uh, working with recently arrived, selfishly, recently arrived students is that I have the opportunity to continue to be like super curious and learn about things and like, Scope out stuff that maybe like hadn't really been a focus for me and and, and learning about it and um and hearing from students too about what they they like. And so in our classroom, music was something that usually not everyone, but like would bring to the table something that they enjoyed and that we could share, especially at the beginning of the day, like before like official class time had started. I think the social emotional stuff is a place where that um. You can really build community and relationship in the classroom too.、Um, like discussing school roles or even classroom norms and having examples that are, that are maybe like things that I've seen or students have reported that they've seen in the hallway, but then also asking them to share or act it out even and talk about it is a way to kind of、um, let students share some of their experiences in a safe way. But then also that's building kind of like what we want to do with all students. Like the opportunity to hear different perspectives and maybe gain some understanding and empathy that we wouldn't have figured out in, in other, other settings. I'm kind of jumping around, but it's related for me with、oh, that group、yeah. because they're kind of hit with like, you know, middle school and all the culture that that is and all the dynamics of what's going on with students,、mm-hmm. as well as、um, navigating a new place and language and like these adults that they don't know. And yeah. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, no, absolutely. It's all about like building community, right? And,、yeah. and I talked to other folks about, about this topic too. And then they all mentioned about the importance of relationship building and also community. And, and I noticed that you mentioned about like music is kind of like what, like, kind of like, I don't know, creates that sense of community for your students. So can, can you give us an example of what kind of music that you all listen to? Well, I've learned, like, I now follow on Spotify, maybe this dates me age wise,、um, mus- but musicians that my, my students brought up.、Um, so I'm thinking, like, we listen to like, a lot of like, Diamond Platinum and Eddie Kenzo.、Um, and the, I mean, those are the names that are going to come right off the bat in terms of、mm-hmm. music. Artist, but like we have, I have still a playlist that students got to submit songs that they wanted to listen to. So it's a real mix of like also who students were in the classroom at that time and the music that they, you know, we have a lot of like BTS fans、um, and、mm. Blackpink fans. And、um, then some students who are really homesick and, and their music really is, was brand new for me too, in terms of some Iranian. Um, Iranian and Iraqi musicians. So 
yeah, just putting that on as like, you know, when you're coming in and getting set up and also at the end of the day, if we have time, like maybe playing a game with it's a start stop game or something with the music list that those students have submitted um, was one way that we used it. And that's what comes to my mind in memory, although I'm sure that we did other things with it as well. So, oh, I'm sure. And oh, my goodness, like the fact that you like let students like submit the music of their choice. I mean, making sure it's school appropriate, yeah. right? But it's also like, wow, it's like for them, again, that's another way to co- build a community. Like they, like what we, the music that we listen to is kind of like represents who we are, like what our preferences and, and how our students um react respond to those like different like varieties of musics like i'm sure there's some music that they never listened to before um like like musics or songs that they probably wouldn't understand because it's not the language that they grew up in and so how do your students respond to those variety of musics i mean i think i want to say like any if you put a group of people in a room and you have all the different responses that you get from them to like a rhythm or a beat. Like, so some would be really excited and think it was fun and just like want to move their body and like go bug a friend or like do a dance move. And there's usually someone that's just like sitting there because they're an introvert and or self-conscious or just not, you know, all of that. Mm -hmm. But I think it created kind of just like a space for some, some play and some being in the body. Um, and laughing, which is a big, like, stress relief, too. Um, right. So I think I would say with that, too, there are some students who music wasn't a thing and dancing was not a thing. Like, um, so there's, like, the asterisk of, like, checking in with kids about how at-home music is for them and how dancing is for them and trying to be as respectful about that as possible. Um but it, it was never something, for, I mean, for us, it was like an opt-in and we can find right. an alternative situation at the same time. Um, but yeah, and I think it, it served me as a teacher too in a high stress school, um, mm-hmm. have opportunities with my students like that as well. And so it was probably, when I think about it, good for them to have that interaction too, mm-hmm. um, because we, whether we want to or not, like we are showing up with what we are showing up with when we're in the classroom with kids. So, um, yeah, trying yeah, to have fun totally. in that space is, yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. Like I can't even, like I could just imagine like, um, like for instance, like middle school kids just moving their body, dancing around, being all silly. I don't know, coming up with their own choreography. And then, like you said, there's some kiddos that, that are introvert and would like just rather just sit and just listen to the music. And that's totally okay. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that itself, what you're doing is creating this community where we're all listening to the same music together. We're in this moment together. And again, it doesn't really matter if you do understand the language or what the background, like what this context mm-hmm. of the music is, as long as it's like the beat, you know, yeah. we're all yeah. feeling the beat and feeling the vibe. Yeah. And I, and I think... I was thinking too, as you're saying that, and I'm sure some people are like, oh man, and then how do you settle down after that? And that's a great question, but but it's also giving you information about your students um, too, and like who and how they respond and engage with that, which I think is, I mean, you can use that information for your strategies with those particular kids as well. So yeah, I don't know. It, It was, 
it was fun for us. So yeah. <laughs> oh no, it sounds fun. But also, I am curious. Like, how do you kind of like transition back to okay? Like, we're gonna like you know slowly like stop the music、mm-hmm. and then we're gonna go back to you know learning or dismissal whatever. So how do you how do you help with yeah, that transition? Yeah, I mean, I. Probably because of my students became more set on this, and I think it's a pretty big. It seems like from what I saw as a Tosa in an elementary school part of the time last year, that routine in the morning of like doing the calendar and the check-in. So just having having things posted, I would put usually our agenda on the board. Like this is what we're trying to tackle within this chunk of time, and then so then we could go and look. Did we do this? And I could mark it off or not, right? And but then also.、Um, Linking times to thing. I had a sand timer, and there's also those visual timers that you can watch. So just to even set up at the beginning that we're going to do this for this amount of time, and then you know the、mm-hmm. next step. So it's working on like, can we make this transition? <laughs> you know, but like trying to set it up so that it was clear、um, when we we're moving from one thing to another. And often, like I said, it would be at the end. Like we would do the other things, and then that would be. Or we would start off with that, and then we would move into the serious thing when the bell rang. Oh yeah, or, yeah. When the announcements came on over the intercom. So.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean that that brings back to what you've been saying about building the routine. Like、mm-hmm. you mentioned this in the begin, you mentioned about routine in the beginning of this、um, sessions, and wow, the importance of routine. Right? Yeah. Like- well, and I think too. I think about bells, and I think about fire alarms, and all the things that we don't always get to control that are curveballs. And、um, so another thing that was for me is like trying to pre-teach some of that stuff, maybe more so than you would with like a a general student population. But like taking if there's time in homeroom a day or two before to like. Have images of what happens during a fire drill and what you're going to hear, and that really it's not. You know, we got to be prepared, but also this is practice for this, because I think some of those things can be like triggering for kids. Not to overuse that word, but there's a lot. You know, absolutely. E- even very crowded hallways and some of what's happening can be. So just trying to like, just ha- create space for conversations about that, or like exampling of it, modeling it,、um, and that also I think lets kids know. They can ask you or their friends or somebody about it if they、right. want to, too. But bringing it up, absolutely. And、yeah. uh, and then you know, I I and then、uh, as a so I'm a school counselor, and so I totally get how students respond to like sounds differently, right? Like uh, you know, like、uh, fire alarms or even the latch. It's just it's too much. It's stimulating, overstimulating, and then so it's amazing that you actually like. Talk like pre-teach them, like help them, like set up, set them up for success rather than、yeah. them feeling overwhelmed and. Yeah, because it's a. I mean, it's a lot. I think, and、right. if if we think about all the like non, I mean, all of the processing that we're doing all the time, not even just of like the language piece, like.、Mm-hmm. Yeah.、It's... And then yeah, even so, and then even just thinking about the fire alarm itself too. That I mean. In depending on some school, fire alarms could be super obnoxiously loud. I mean, it's supposed to be loud, but、yeah. you know, to let、uh, uh, warn us about the danger that we need to、right. back it, whatnot. But it, like you say, it can be triggering for a lot of students. Yeah, the flash, like flashing lights and loud noises. Yeah, I remember I was super like 
whoa, what's going on? What's all this beep sound? I have to remind myself to do my like deep breathing to calm my nervous system. So, but also knowing, you know, once you get to know students and maybe where they are most recently coming from or the reason that they're here in school, I think sometimes Mm -hmm. it's because they've been impacted by conflict going on where they are. So yeah, to me, it's like, yeah, we can do this. This is a great, you know, just to kind of take the edge of it as much as we can. And sometimes we don't, I think that's a hard thing too. We don't have the power to totally control the settings and the safety in schools. Like as much as Mm -hmm. I would want to, we don't. So like, like you brought up earlier, what are the skills and things that we can teach students or just model for them so that when they're out in the world or going to a new school, they can take that with them and kind of understand what's going on, but also ask or advocate for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So you have been previously worked in middle school, and now you're transitioning to work at elementary school. Mm -hmm. So with that, uh, with the knowledge that you have, I'm curious, by the end of elementary school, like let's say fifth graders, what is something you want fifth graders to, I guess, hold on to, or what skill knowledge you want them to have as they transition to middle school? So then they're ready for middle school. Ooh, that's a good question. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and having having limited experience with fifth graders. I mean, I think, and at our middle school and the middle school I was toasting at this last year, sixth graders are kind of given their own, like, it is middle school, but we have this kind of more contained area that is mostly yours. And I think the biggest, the biggest hurdles that I've seen students struggling with making that transition is like, well, one, they're moving around to different classrooms. So that in itself, like mapping and understanding where you are in the school. So mm-hmm. um, I think asking questions, like at, like when you don't understand, don't be afraid because you, I would guarantee, are probably not the only one who has that question. You may just be the one who's brave enough to, brave enough to ask it or to like, you know, do that for yourself. And then I think, yeah, it's not, organizational skills would be the other thing that's just a hard It's a hard transition for anybody. So we had like a version of an interactive notebook, um, which is an avid strategy. The one I had with newcomers was, was modified. Right. But every day we'd like write down what we were doing, the date, um, just as, and not all students were able to connect that dot. But so then if you want to go back and see what you're supposed to have by a certain time, and you can get used to using this as a reference point, or if you're doing it on your iPad, you know, there's different ways. Yeah. Um, but those are things that I don't know, you know, I'll be learning what fifth graders are figuring out this year. Um, Ooh, that is so true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think those are things that I would say, like, just ask questions and, and like, um, know who you can, like, figure out who your trusted humans are. Mm, that's so uh, good. And I think the other challenge for all kids in middle school is, like, um, we're getting to know ourselves and our friends and we're trying new things and like making good choices. For- Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Those are very general though. Um, yeah. I mean, those are so, those are such good like advice or like some skills that you want um, fifth graders to have as they transition into middle school, like asking questions and mm-hmm. then, who, you know, finding out who they can trust in an organization. Oh my goodness. That's really important skills to have like universally. I feel like, yeah. Um, 
But with that being said, uh, is there anything else you would like to share um, or any resources that you want to share to our, our audiences before we wrap this mm. up? Mm. I, you know, I probably will think of things after I talk of you that I'll be like, oh, yeah, <laughs> and this too. But I, yeah. I mean, I the other thing that I guess we didn't touch on, but like was just key for when I was teaching newcomers in middle school, but also when I was in that classroom is like, collaborating with with whoever you can that are there to support those students and so in our middle school we had sun schools uh, after school programming and we had community partners um and so we're like you know trying to build rapport with parents or guardians and having open communication because sometimes there's a different understanding of like who's responsible for what in terms of education of kids when when you know we could assume that all parents know that they need to do these things and that's not really fair. So like trying to establish right. rapport with, I, I would say with, with parents or guardians, or at least kind of just like trying to open that up for them. And then if there are community partners, specifically ones that are like language or culturally specific for those students, that can be just like, those are sometimes relationships and connections that no matter how hard I try, I, I don't, I am not that person for that kiddo. Yeah. So um, I like, they were critical parts of, teaching that student population for me just because it um what they bring to the table what they can offer and also what they're doing fun stuff after school and are going to get more relationship and like insight too so to be able to collaborate with them was really important so that's I yeah. think that's what I would add for that and then um I love reading about migration novels poems podcasts so if 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 you or if folks want um, or have ones they want to share. I would love to hear what and read what other people are reading. But I just finished. Um, it was like a auto memoir by Javier. I'm going to forget his last name, but it's called Solito. And he published mm -hmm. poetry a few years ago. But he is an author who actually back in the 90s did that migration journey by by himself. Um, wow. And, and so like if people are looking for... I think reading has always been a way for me to kind of understand and learn about different things. And so I'm, I don't mm -hmm. have any, like, I don't have a list for you, but if you want me to put some things together to share, I'm happy to do that. Oh, that would be awesome. I mean, again, like reading someone's memoir is so powerful. Like yeah. I love reading about this. It's like, like hearing about different voices and it's like, you have, I don't know, it's like different, you get to experience or look at different lens what yeah. people have their lived experience so it's quite fascinating and so oh that's awesome that you know you've been just so enthusiastic about reading more stories and Love stories. Life, lived experiences yeah thanks but yeah thank you so much frankie for yeah. joining us this has been an amazing session and i'm sure our audiences would really appreciate you thank you for having me absolutely For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit grow.oregonad.org.